Good morning, everyone. Please stand as you find your seat and make your way into the sanctuary, and let's sing Hope of the Nations. Verses 14 to 16. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being here with us through your spirit. Thank you for showing us the way through Jesus Christ, and thank you for being our creator and sustainer um, and in control of all of the universe. And we just ask that this morning you would direct our hearts and our minds to you, that we would put aside any distraction or temptation, and that we could just really listen to 
what you want to teach us this morning and really offer ourselves in praise to you. So we just ask for your presence and your spirit to be at work among us. Amen. Let's sing Before the Throne of God Above. for Jesus paid it all.
Let's pray for the offering. God, you are so generous with us. We get to live in this beautiful world. We get to live in these bodies that get to experience joy and pleasure. And I pray that you would help us to return all of these generous gifts to you in the form of prayer, energy, time, money. And I thank you for all of the money um, that you have given us and that we would just be willing to give what we can um, for the work of your kingdom and your service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we'd like to introduce a new song to you this morning. We'll be doing it at the end of the service as well, so we'll have a little time to learn it together. Um, so feel free to just listen if you want and sing along when you feel able. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew. me first. 
Thank you for being willing to learn a new song with us. Let's finish off with Cornerstone. for this morning's scripture reading. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 
verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of the great love for us, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team. That was a very, very fitting songs to sing this morning. Um, so before we get into the announcements and prayer time, uh, we have a bit of a special um, feature this morning, and Mano Ham is going to come up and share a little bit about what God has been doing in his life recently. So Menno, if you would like to come on up and... Good morning. What do we do in our lives when life hands us a difficult situation, perhaps an illness, a strained family relationship, an accident, or some other event that may cause us pain, frustration, or a loss of sleep? I re we realize that as our bodies age, changes to our health will increase, some mild and others more severe. This morning, I would like to share with you some of the recent changes in my life, challenges or adventures as I call them, that I have faced with my aging body and how the Lord has guided me through them. Number one, two years ago at the beginning of June, my optometrist figured that I was ready for cataract surgery. So I began. It was a process that stretched over 17 months and required nine trips to Brandon. After surgery, everything looked much clearer, much brighter, but unfortunately, I could not read. Close vision was still blurred. Number two, upon the Seeing my optometrist in November last fall to get glasses, he discovered some deformity in the back of my right eye and referred me to an eye specialist in Winnipeg. There, Dr. Manislow determined that it was macular degeneration and began giving me monthly injections and later also injections in my left eye as well. Yes, the needle goes into the eye. It's not painful, but it's a little strange. We're not used to that. Number three, 
At my first appointment with Dr. Manislow, he told me that my vision was not good enough for driving, and he would have to report this to MPI. That was a hard pill to swallow. But I thought, I've had 75 years of driving. Why should I expect more? So Alvina became the driver and I the passenger. After the third injection, the doctor <clears throat> said that my vision had improved enough to be able to drive again. Well, that was happy news, so I applied, finally got my driver's license after being without one for five months. Praise God. I'm also deeply thankful for Alvina's faithful love and support and encouragement through the, throughout the years especially now with her capable driving when I couldn't. Number four, also at the beginning of this year, I had the misfortune of twisting my left knee, uh, which caused severe pain and very much difficult in walking. But fortunately, the uh, senior support worker lent me a walker, and with five treatments from the local physiotherapist and much exercising, I can now walk as well as ever. Wonderful. Number five. When one, my, when one, my, one of my hearing aids quit uh, working in March, the technician told me that it could not be repaired. It was too old. He offered me a new set, but I thought the price was rather high. So I went to the hearing center in Costco at, in Winnipeg. I received a very thorough examination and decided I'd buy a set. The price, only one-third the cost of the ones for my former provider. Amazing. But I had to wait three weeks for my new set to arrive, and in this time my other hearing aid had quit as well. So for three weeks I was practically deaf. I couldn't hear anyone. But the Lord helped me to remain positive, and I developed a much greater appreciation for the gift of hearing. Thank God this new set works very well. Number six. In April, Dr. Manisol said my vision had improved enough to get glasses, but my optometrist disagreed. He said glasses would hardly help at all. It wasn't worth the cost. And also he told me I should wait a whole year before I came back again. Well, I wanted a second opinion. So in mid-June, an optometrist in Portage told me that they would help a little bit, maybe quite a bit. And 10 days later, I took my new glasses home. Well, they are an improvement, but not as good as I had hoped, unfortunately. But they look good, don't you think? Number seven, for quite a while I'd had a, quite a sore on my forehead that just wasn't healing. And uh, I was getting concerned about it, so I went to uh, a doctor here in our clinic in town. Well, she took a look at it and suspected something serious. She took some pictures and sent them to the skin doctor in Portage. Two days later, 
Dr. Reitmeier called me into his office, took one look, identified cancer, and gave me uh, a, a shot of CO2, very painful, in my, in, on that sore and also one at the right of, of my eye. And I also then applied ointment for two weeks, twice a day. And when I went back, the doctor gave me another shot. And by mid-August, praise God, there was no sign of cancer. I'm very thankful for that. So what have I learned through all these experiences? Well, one thing, I never thought that God was punishing me. He was merely helping me grow deeper in my patience. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 say, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And also during this time, I was never tempted to ask God, why me? Why do I have to suffer? One time a while ago, I was talking with my son, Gerald, and uh, about his having to endure many trials in his life. Diabetes, a stroke, kidney failure, loneliness, among many other things. He simply answered, why not me? We recognize that our God has a purpose in allowing these challenges to us. And throughout this time, I had a constant trust in God, facing each new challenge, each new event, with a calmness and peace that I couldn't describe. I claimed 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. I love Annie Johnson's Flint's poem about God's promises. <clears throat> she said, God has not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through, but God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, strength from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. One thing is sure, we can all depend on God's promises to us. And when we have Jesus, the Lord Jesus in our boat, he will guide us through whatever storms life will add to us. God bless you all. We just want to thank you for Menno and Alvina. We want to thank you, God, for their testimony this morning. We want to thank you for their testimony throughout their lives. And we just pray, God, that you would continue to reveal yourself to them in uh, so many different ways. God, we thank you for this family, this couple, and we thank you that they're here in our church. Amen. Blessings. Thank Menno. you. And that is part of the blessing of sharing our stories with others, is we get to hear a little bit of his story here and there throughout, throughout the weeks, but to, to hear it and to see how, um, how God has revealed himself to, to them and sustained them throughout it is, it's, it's a real blessing and a real encouragement to me anyway. Uh, we'll just grab our bulletins, we'll uh, look at uh, some announcements quick. Um, if you're interested in child dedication, 
he can talk to Pastor Russell. Um, you know, it's exciting that that this is a thing now that we we can have some babies dedicated to the Lord. And I just want to put a bit of a plug in. Um, we talk about baby dedication, um, but it's more of a child and parent dedication. And uh, our daughter Hannah came to live with us at three years old, and I think she was eight. She was looking through some pictures of the boys at their baby dedications. And Hannah asked, uh, was she ever dedicated? And we said, well, no, we didn't think of it, sorry. Like, um, but it was her desire to be dedicated. And uh, so at eight years old, we had a dedication for her in church. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a thing. I mean, you don't have to have your child dedicated or your baby dedicated here. We're going to pray for you anyway. Um, but it, it's a time of the church coming around and recognizing that these kids, these babies, child, children are a blessing from the Lord and that it takes all of us to, to help train up these kids. And we want to be there to support you and encourage you in that. So if you're interested in that at all, at any age, talk to Russell. Um, we'd be excited to, to talk to you about it and just explore some of the options for you there. Uh, it says there's a sign-up for small groups at the back, but there isn't this week. But small groups are kicking off. Uh, if you have not been in a small group and you're interested at all, um, talk to Russell, talk to David, Tammy, or us. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. Love to find a group that, that works, uh, works for you. Um, care groups are in a, exactly what they're, what they're called. It's a place where you can come, you can share life, we can care for each other, we can be there for each other, and it's just a real uh, opportunity to, to uh, encourage each other. Uh, next Sunday is the last day to sign up for the prayer chain at the back, so if you're interested, uh, email, text, phone call, write it down, uh, and then you'll be a part of that um, so that you can be notified as soon as there's a, any kind of a prayer request or something going on. Kids Connect is starting up in November. Um, pretty exciting time. Uh, so if you're interested at all in helping out or knowing more about it, talk to Christine. She'd love to, love to chat. And Children's Church teachers. Um, and we're looking for Children's Church, church teachers and a Christian Ed chairperson. But if you're interested in, in helping with uh, children's search, talk to Bethany. Um, she'd love to, love to uh, chat with you and find a place where you can, where you can serve, where you can fit. Uh, any other announcements that didn't make the bulletin? Okay, along the lines of children's church, um, we're looking for more teachers for the class of the younger students. So if you're interested in working in a team, so there will always be two adults teaching the younger kids, two adults teaching the older kids, um, please talk to me. Right now we only have one team of two for the little guys, and so that's not um, sustainable. We wouldn't be able to do children's church for the younger group every week if we only have one team of two. So we really will need more people if we want to have this program be consistent every um, week. So please talk to me if the Spirit's leading you to um, get involved even in a new way that you've never been involved before. That's fine. We'll teach you how to do it. And every week will be the same thing. So reading through a Bible story, 
doing some songs, prayer, snack, and playtime. So it's nothing that you'll have to um, invent every single week. It's just a matter of going through the schedule and being consistent with these little guys so they can learn um, the truths about the Lord as well. And another announcement for the anyone who has kids or even like grandparents or anyone caregiving for kids, we're switching up the rooms that you can use to um, take care of kids during the service. So the children's church room that's beside the women's washroom is just going to be a classroom now. So it won't be a space for playing before, during, or after the service. It'll be locked unless we're using it for the um, teaching time halfway through the service. Um, so that's no longer a playroom, but we've created a playroom beside the church um, photocopy office room. So just on the other side of that room, it's called Kids Playroom. So it's an enclosed space if you need to take care of a kid before, during, or after the service, and they just need a quiet space to be a little bit away from everybody else. There's some toys in there, chalkboard, coloring. So feel free to use that if you have um, a kid in your care, like ages three and up. And then, of course, the nursery remains available for nursing moms, for um, parents with little toddlers. Um, and of course, you can um, navigate those dynamics. If there's a nursing mother in there and you're a dad taking care of kiddos, maybe you choose to go into the kids' playroom beside the church office. So there's spaces for everybody. We're just not using the children's church space for a playroom anymore. So thanks for um, going with the flow with that. Thank you, Bethany. Anything else that was missed? Okay, we'll uh, go to our prayer time. Uh, we want to continue to pray for connections that were made during the Family Fun Day yesterday. Um, lots of people were out and about, and uh, we just want to pray that, that any connections that were made will be fruitful. We want to continue to pray for wisdom and health for Ann Neufeld and family. Um, the trying time and decisions to be made, so we just want to continue to pray for them. And uh, exciting time, Sunday School Children's Church kickoff is next Sunday, so we want to pray that that goes well and, and that we can start strong. Uh, another uh, announcement that I was just mentioned to this morning, um, so I don't know in a lot of details, but uh, God knows all the details. So uh, Annette Vancouvering's mom had a heart attack, I think it was, on the weekend, and she's in St. Boniface, so we want to continue to pray for them. Pray for healing, pray for strength, wisdom, um, yeah, and just pray that, that God's will would be, uh, would be done. Um, so with, before we go into prayer, I just want to highlight the, the very front. If you have needs, you, you need to, things that you want to talk about, pray, be prayed with, uh, there will be always deacons at the front um, after the service. You can come pray, but our contact information is on the front of the bulletin as well. You can reach out to any of us, Russell, David, um, Tammy, Christine, or I, anytime. Uh, we'd love to, love to hear what's on your heart and, and pray with you if we can, or if, if that's what you're after. But let's just go into a time of prayer and bring these things before God and uh, just, uh, yeah, excited, get excited about what God is doing in our community, through our, in, through, in the church. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you care about each one that is here. We thank you that you are um, just so evident uh, that your presence is here, and we just rejoice in that. Lord, we want to just continue to pray for the connections that were made yesterday at the Fun Day, Family Fun Day. Lord, we just thank you that there were so many people out and enjoying uh, what the town has to offer um, and just spending time together. It was a beautiful day. 
we uh, just want to pray for the Ann Newfeld and the family God as she's dealing with these health issues um, and just the host of emotions and decisions and things that come up with that Lord we just pray that you would undertake for them that you would be just their ever-present rock that they can lean on that you would just direct them give them peace and wisdom and Lord, we uh, think too of Annette's uh, mom. We just pray that you would uh, be with the doctors, be with the family. Um, God, we pray for healing. We pray for health. We pray hope uh, and joy in that situation as well. And as we anticipate uh, Sunday school return next week, God, we just pray that uh, people would come, that they would be excited to get together and talk and share about what God is doing in their heart. And Lord, we look for opportunities to to share what you're doing in our lives. God, we just thank you for all that you've done and all you continue to do. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Before I jump in, just for an update, who all managed to make it out for Family Fun Day yesterday? I was there. It was a good time. I highly recommend it if uh, we're doing it again next year. But uh, what I will say is it was wonderful to see all... I think at our peak, maybe 150 kids and parents and everything that had kind of cycled through. So it was, it was truly a good time. Uh, I would like to say uh, thank you to all of the people that helped. My little niece, McKenna, was there because she is an expert professional face painter, as is Bethany, who powered through like the entire day. You probably face painted over 100 faces just yourself. I was, if you need face paints, uh, then you know who to talk to. Also, I want to say uh, thank you to Lyndon Gunther who helped me set up. Uh, thank you to Gord who did a wonderful job in charge of the bouncy castles as well as for Elmer and for Daryl and Audrey. Daryl was pulling a little barrel train the entire time and, well, like Audrey right at the tail end of it, but all the smile on his face that was one of the hits of the day, I will tell you right now. There was a lineup a mile long of little kids that get to go on a tour of the forest on the barrel train. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to each of you. That was a wonderful day. <laughs> and we managed to make it back uh, for the fireworks with Noelle, and I got another wow out of her, and it was, I'll remember that. If you have your Bibles on you, now is the time to take them out to Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. As you know, we're in the middle of a, a non-service, a non-series as it is. I asked a bunch of people from our congregation as well as from around town, as well as some that are not in the country, if they could hear any sermon, what would they want to hear it on? And today is one from our congregation. And... This is a question that, it's a difficult one. It is a question I have certainly struggled with all of my life, and it's an important one. And it's also a question that has an awful lot of tradition informing what we think is said when we end up reading that into the Bible when it isn't necessarily even there. And what the question is, is for people that are good people, for people that even live as Christians would, but are not Christian themselves. 
What, what happens with them? Will God take mercy on them? And how are we supposed to live in response? And for anybody that has a lot of friends that are not uh, Christian, uh, this is one that definitely will keep you up at night. So if you have your Bibles, we look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Because when I'm thinking of passages that talk about exactly that, this is one of the ones that just immediately comes to mind because it kind of tackles it in its entirety. And we begin, as we heard before, as for you who were, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, the cravings of the flesh, if you have the NLT, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath and NLT, the wrath of God. We're going to stop there for a bit. Whenever you see that you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and then immediately there is this you're dead, but you're alive. You're dead, but you're walking. You're dead in these things, but at the same time, you're going about your life. We're immediately supposed to remember who else we know that was dead, but then came back, right? We were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins. But we know one who was dead, but now is alive, sinless, transgressionless. While we may be dead, we know that there is a source of second life. We know that there is a source of everything that we do not have. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I'm betting that most of us, when we read this passage either now or at a different time, we kind of were like, ah, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, and our minds automatically go to Satan because that's where our tradition goes with this. But there's more going on there than just this is talking about Satan because where is the kingdom of the air? The kingdom of the air is here. The kingdom of the air is there. The air is all around us. And that is the point. We are living in a fallen world, and you can flip this way, you can float that way, blowing on the winds themselves. And no matter where you go, there is the fallen nature of all things. No matter where you go, there is the sins, there is the transgressions, because we do not know anything else. We do not know the way to anything else on our own. After all, we are nothing but the walking of the dead. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. When we see that gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, I think our minds tend to drift towards the resque, but that is the language that gets used for just sin in general. The risque, a part of it for sure, but at the same time, the sin in general, because we do not know any better. We are part of the kingdom of the air, flitting this way, floating that way, led by that which would make us disobedient because we are in the fallen world and we are dead because of our transgressions and our sins, because we are living in a state where we do not know any better and as we go about our life living in this way, we sully the creation, we make things worse. Thus sin is in us and we are dead to it. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We're gonna come back to that one. I think often when we think about why it is that because we have sinned, we think about why it is that we are deserving of the wrath of God. You probably heard some kind of the metaphor before where because you are sin and so there's sin in your life and because of that you are in some way muddying everything, but God is pure, God is spotless, God cannot exist in the same realm. I don't really like that metaphor because while it's definitely getting to something good, at the same time, it's fundamentally not something we understand in our day-to-day, -day, isn't it? We don't really come across anything that is truly pure, truly spotless, and that we're settling it by. And so when we were like, well, if we don't know any better, then why is it that we deserve the wrath of God because of this, right? And so just imagine that you are somebody that goes into a house and you accidentally burn it down Maybe you plugged in a hairdryer or something, overloaded a circuit, the whole house burnt down. It wasn't your fault that you did this. You didn't know one way or the other, but at the same time, if you were the owner of that house, would you feel like it was in your right to enact that wrath? Would you feel that it was in your right to be angry? Would you feel it would be in your right to take out some vengeance even though the person that did this didn't know one way or the other. At the end of the day, they did burn down the house. No metaphor is perfect, but I think that gets us a bit closer to the understanding just why it is that we might deserve wrath even though we do not know one thing or the other. But the passage goes on. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I know, 
Because what do we come to here? We come to the point of the passage. Often when we read passages like this, we kind of get it all backwards, right? We read passages where you were dead in your sins and transgressions because you lived in a way where you did not know better. And that's what we focus on. We focus on the fact that this was how we lived, and because of that, wrath is what we deserved. But that isn't the point of this passage. And we know it's not the point of the passage because it's setting up what comes for the next six verses. It's setting up what the point of the passage is. Sure, this is how things have been, but they don't need to be that way anymore. They aren't that way anymore because now Jesus Christ is here. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, is the point of this passage. He made us alive with Jesus Christ even when we were all dead in our transgressions. That is the point of this passage. Not what was, but what is and what will be. We focus so much on what was because it scares us. But we are not there anymore. Now Jesus Christ is here. And so God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. That is the reality that we now live in. And that is the reality we go forward in as followers of Christ. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. That is the reality that we live in now as followers of Jesus Christ. Not in a world that is dead and dying, but in a world that God loves so much that he sent his only son to save us from that towards what we were made to be. For it is by the grace that you have been saved, it goes on, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is where we are. Things were bad, and we did not know any better. Christ has come and saved us from it. Hallelujah to that. And now let's live and share, and with everything we are, let the Spirit flow through us to build the kingdom. Because in light of what we have been through, in light of what we now know, how could we do anything else? Let us live in a way that is so selfless. Let us live in a way that is so focused on the kingdom. Let us live in a way that is so gracious and joyous that the love of God pours through our every actions so that nobody could ever in a million years think that it was just because of us that we lived in that way. Let us live 
in a way that when people look at us, they see that that is God at work. The word of the Lord. When we talk about this type of thing in particular, talk about anything that comes close to hell, talk about anything that comes close to the wrath of God, talk about anything that has to do with salvation or talk about anything about how things were before Christ came, often we find ourselves in a place where we read into Scripture an awful lot. And an awful lot of that isn't actually there. And you can see that in this passage. For instance, what we talked about before, where it talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Immediately, our mind goes to Satan, and while undoubtedly Satan is a part of that, to just say that, to just say, oh, that's Satan, and leave it there, doesn't get across the fullness of what Paul is actually saying here. Without Christ Jesus, we were living in sin, not because we knew we were living in sin, but because there was a fog all around us, and every inch of everything. We blew this way and that on the wind. We knew no better, because how could we? That is the grand scope that Paul is getting at. And when we read into it, we often diminish based upon what it is that we think. And this brings us to that part about wrath. Because I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that when you see that, that because we lived in sin, we are by nature objects of wrath, by nature deserving the wrath of God, I'm betting most of us immediately figured we were talking about hell right there, right? Don't need to put your arm up or anything. I know that's certainly how I've read it for most of my life. But here's the thing. Paul is one that likes to make distinctions. Paul is one that on many instances makes a distinction between on the one side people who live in sin because they don't know any better. And on the other side, the believers who are still living in sin and still being judgmental, and they very much so do know better. I bring that up because wrath of God comes up a lot in the Bible, and it takes many different forms. You can think of smitings like Sodom. You can think of just hardships in life. You can think of a number of different things. But in the New Testament, when hell in particular comes up, 
there aren't many instances of it. And every, mostly all of those references where it does come up, it isn't something that is inflicted on people that don't know any better. Instead, it's inflicted on those who very much so do know better, and yet they choose to, with everything that they are, live in a way that is vile and spiteful and seeking to tear down what our God is looking to build. Luke 16 is probably the best example. There you have Lazarus and the rich man. It's a parable that Jesus tells. They both live their life. Lazarus is poor, a beggar. He lives a wonderful life for God. The rich man indulges with everything he is and truly is not the best of people. They both die. Lazarus is seated beside Abraham in heaven while the rich man is in hell. In this passage, at no point does the rich man ever question whether or not he should be there. Instead, he calls out to Abraham, take some water, put it on my tongue to quench this terrible pain. At no point does he ever question why he's there. He thinks it's just for him to be there. But yet, this is what is going on. In Revelation 21, 20, 21, that is one of the few instances when they talk about eternal judgment, that it is rather explicit that the unbelieving are also among the people that will witness this end. Revelation 21, of course, should be noted that it comes at the end of all things. At the end, after everyone will have been given the opportunity to know who Christ Jesus is, and yet still they choose not. I'm not saying any of this to say that our tradition's way of understanding hell is wrong. Our tradition that says very much so that those that do not know Christ in life will die and will go to hell. I'm not saying that we got it wrong. But what I am saying is that that belief comes from a case in Scripture. And it is a case in Scripture that can be interpreted other ways. It is not that those other ways are necessarily right, but instead, the reason that this isn't concrete, the reason that we don't know 100%, we don't get this explicit, if you don't believe in God while you were alive, you will burn in hell, is because, much like in our passage today, in the New Testament, hell and the damnation and all of these things isn't what's important. We think that it is. We preach that it is. Because it feels like it is. 
After all, this is something that happens directly to us. How could this not be the most important thing? But the New Testament is made up of thousands of verses and hundreds of chapters. And talk explicitly about hell is... There are maybe 50 verses entirely. It isn't important to the New Testament writers like we think that it is. What is instead important to them is that though we lived in sin, though we did not know any better and we lived in this way, now there is something better. Now Christ Jesus is here. Now there is that second life. So as to the question, will God take mercy on those who are good people? I will say that God will do something better in that God will ultimately always be just. Just like the rich man doesn't question whether or not the judgment passed on him was the right one, that is what we can expect for everyone. Because in the end of Revelation, we see that all come before God in judgment in the end, us as well. And when we think about judgment, we get scared because we look at the examples that we know from the world around us. But this isn't the kind of justice that our God deals in. Our God who knows the deepest part of our hearts. Our God who knows the whole picture. Our God who knows all things. When our God passes a judgment, then even those that the judgment is passed for, we can have faith they will believe that it is the right judgment. It is the right thing. So that is what I would say. In the end, we can trust that what God will do is what is just. And what should we do in response to that? I will say we look at our passage as a whole. Though we were dead in our transgressions in sin, Though that is sadly the world around us more often than not. Now is the time for us to live with everything we are in the truth that our Lord has come. Now is the time for us to share with all of those around us, with all of the joy in our heart, the truth that Christ has come for them. That he is reaching out with everything that he is. And all you have to do is open your eyes and take his hand. We are to live in that way that we are told, where people will simply know that with everything that we do, it is not from us, but from God. Filled with that amount of 
almost inhuman amounts of love, filled with that amount of grace, with that amount of joy, with everything that we are living in a way that we cannot boast, for it is the Spirit working through us. That is how we are to live to those around us. This is a topic that is hard for many of us, myself very much so included. This is a topic that I'm betting many of us have stayed up in life to the late hours of the morning terrified of more than once. But the answer to it is simply this. Our Lord is just. Amen. As we sing All I Have is Christ again, the new song, I think the lyrics really do kind of portray that same, same flow as the Ephesians passage of being in a helpless state and a lost state and then having you know, God himself initiate that, that return. So please stand as we sing All I Have is Christ together.
A reminder, next Sunday is kickoff for Sunday school, and I am looking forward to it. We are also having a potluck, so make sure to bring your favorite thing to share. It's going to be a good time to spend together. And also, if you ever want to talk to me about anything, I'll be in the back after the service. Email me. Tell me you want to drop by. I look forward to seeing you. But our benediction today comes from the book of Ephesians. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Go now and serve our God. Let's sing the chorus together. Thank you.